0: This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 149 for September 2020 with Alan Kirshner on Problems with Pre-Trib.
1: Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson.
0: I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 149 for September 2020 with Alan Kirshner. Alan is a scholar and author and joins me this month to discuss problems with the pre-trib rapture view, with the basis of the discussion being the film that came out recently that he co-produced called Seven Pre-Trib Problems, which is free to view and available on YouTube. As with any episode, you can get show notes for this one at the website. Every month, I put together a bullet-pointed outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures that we referenced during the show for your own deeper study, and depending on what I find, a list of additional resources on this subject, as well as related episodes from the EchoZoi Radio archives. You'll also find a link to the film in the show notes. There's no video version for this episode this month, though. Sorry, it's audio only this time. But anyway, you can find those show notes for this episode at echozoe.com 149. And with that, here's my discussion with Alan. Alan, so it's uh, been a while, but uh, glad to have you back on Echo Zoe Radio. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. So I couldn't, to be honest, you know, I see you from time to time, and I couldn't even remember if I'd had you on before or not, and uh, so I had to look in the archives, and it was five years ago uh, to the month, you know, September 2015, that you came on to talk about eschatology, and uh, and now you're back. Yes, yes, and, back, uh, yep. Eschatology is kind of your thing, and, and I hate to um, I hate to, to kind of alienate a, a portion of our audience, but I hope that people, regardless of their eschatological flavor, can just kind of uh, gain something from this. We'll stick around and listen and, and, and uh, get some kind of insight one way or another. Uh, I do have quite a few amillennial uh, listeners. Uh, we're both premillennial and, and specifically, we're talking about the pre-wrath view of of rapture within the pre-millennial uh, framework. And uh, this was really inspired by you just had a, a film that came out just a few days ago as a time of recording that uh, you co-produced.
2: Yes, co-produced uh, with Chris White. Uh, and the, the title of it is Seven Pre-Trib Problems and the uh, Pre-Rath Rapture. And you can go to the, anyone can go to the website and view it. You can also view it at, uh, on YouTube, but the website is seven, the number seven, that is, uh, pre-trib
0: problems.com. And and I'll I'll have, uh, I'll have that in the show notes and then somewhere along the way for sure, for sure on the, uh, in the additional resources section, the top link will be the link to the website and the YouTube so, people can go see it. It is free, so you can you can see this thing we're going to talk about it and uh it's we're not talking a book or anything where we're going to ask you to go buy a book. You can go watch it whenever you want for free and um I watched it i it was Kofi sent it to me Kofi Adobo and was a past guest he's been on a few times and Kofi is a good friend, a good online friend I guess you know I've never met him personally, but cool guy and uh I just learned relatively recently that he's pre-wrath too. And, and I was really pleasantly surprised to learn that Kofi was pre-wrath. And he sent me this link like the day after it came out. I didn't realize that it, I didn't even know you were doing it. Between you and then Ryan Hobbin and my other friend and board member on Echo Zoe Ministries is in the film too. And between the two of you, I thought uh, it was kind of odd that I never even heard that it was coming and, until Kofi mentioned it. but uh so I think the my thinking as far as this discussion will go today for uh, for this episode is uh we're not going to go through seven f- full problems but uh we'll touch on a few of them and and I looked back in my own archives I did some writing back in 2014 so even a year before you were on with me last time and uh, started doing a series on on pre-Trib, pre-Wrath, and kind of my own, kind of similar to what the film is on, but much simpler, much less scholastic and whatnot. So my thought was that I, there's some overlap there, and I might want to go through and, and hit on the same topics that, that I'd hit in my my articles. And uh, But I should mention to the audience that uh, if, if there's any differences between what Alan says and what I said in my articles, go with Alan because he's the scholar. I'm just the the schmo. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh, do you mind if we just walk through and list what the seven problems are and then maybe we can just spend the rest of the discussion just picking one and talking about it for a while and then we'll pick another?
2: Sure. And let me just uh, qualify something uh, uh, up front. So, it, yeah, the, the title of the documentary is, you know, uh, Seven Problems. Uh, preacher problems and what we do is we don't just identify the problems uh it doesn't stop there in the documentary but we uh respond we believe compellingly we respond uh by giving answers pre rath answers uh to these seven problems and so by doing that we we marshaled uh prophecy teachers leading prophecy teachers uh, to walk through these seven problems, uh, other than my, my, myself, that was interviewed for the documentary. There's uh, Alan Holtberg. Alan Holtberg is the contributor to the pre-rapture portion of Zondervan's book on the three rapture uh, uh, okay. the, uh, the th- three rapture positions or views. And Charles Cooper, David Rosenthal, who is uh, Marvin Rosenthal's son. And Ryan Habana.
0: Mm-hmm. So. so, of course, Ryan is a, is not only a very good friend, but um, it, I work together with Ryan a lot, and he's a board member. and And that was that was one of the things Kofi would, had had reached out because he's like, I thought I heard that you know Ryan, and I'm like, Oh yeah, I don't just know Ryan. Ryan's a very good friend, and he's taken me to Israel a few times to work on some of his films. And uh, so Ryan and I are, are great friends. And, uh, in fact, still working on his uh, second film. Hmm. But uh so uh the the seven problems are what? Which ones do you address in the film?
2: Sure. Uh well the uh I can go through the list and just you want me to briefly just describe yeah, just, each one? Yep. Uh just and then we can go back to any particular ones you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh so the precursor problem, that's number one. The precursor problem is in scripture there's certain events. That uh, explicit events uh, that will take place, prophesied events that will take place before uh, the rapture and the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we explain why they have to take place uh, before the day of the Lord and by extension before the rapture. And uh, pre-Tribulationism, at least contemporary pre-Tribulationism, has – Modified their view, uh, I believe, in light of the pre wrath position, to try to answer some of these objections that pre wrath has has had. The second yeah, I was going to say, oh, I noticed
0: like not even three or four minutes into the film that 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 hit me, and I thought, wow, you know, I still have very good friends that are pre-trib, like my own pastor, who I may consider a very good friend. You know, one of my best friends, I would say, is uh, very strongly pre-trib, and uh, when I saw that little blurb at the beginning. I thought, you know, you kind of cut his legs out from under him because he, you talked about how the, the, the view of the teaching has changed over the last 20 years or so in the seminaries. And, uh, my pastor, my friend is still teaching some of those things that were taught 20 years ago that, that you've addressed aren't really even taught anymore because they've had to answer some of the objections. Right. Right. Yep.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, so we, I mean, we led off with uh, number one because you know it's it is one of the strongest arguments I believe for the pre-rath position. Um, and number number two, the second problem is we, we call it the olive discourse problem. And mm-hmm. pre-tribulation, pre-tribulations have uh, at least traditionally have said that the olive discourse, you know, it's not for the church and the rapture is not found in Matthew twenty-four. Uh, At least in verses 29 to 30, the the description of Jesus coming on the clouds, they would say it's not the rapture. And we really point out, I believe, some serious misunderstandings uh, of not recognizing that that is, in fact, the rapture. And we marshal uh, Paul's teaching, where Paul draws actually 30 parallels from the Olive Discourse for his own church situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we also explain why the parables support that Matthew 24 verses 29 to 31 uh, uh, illustrates the rapture event. Mm -hmm. So that's—
0: Now, just before we move on, I was going to mention—and I don't know that—I don't remember seeing it in the film. I watched it yesterday. Uh, But Matthew 24 is paralleled in uh, Luke— Twenty-one and Mark. I want to say thirteen. Correct. Is that correct? Yes. And Revelation
2: uh, six and seven.
0: Sure, but the um, but but the actual Jesus being asked whether the signs of your coming and and the parable of the fig tree and all of the discourse are specifically laid out within the three Gospels. And there are parallels elsewhere, but but um, the most complete version is Matthew twenty-four, and thus it's usually the one that gets the attention yeah we
2: draw in the other synoptic parallels from uh uh from mark thirteen and particularly luke twenty one that has some additional information
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: that is actually helps to build that larger composite of Jesus's teaching
0: yeah so then the next one is the second thessalonians problem sure
2: uh second thessalonians. This, this, arguably, this might be even the biggest, uh, the largest uh, problem for pre-tribulationists because Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter two he explicitly states that two events have to happen first before the uh, before the day of the Lord's wrath and by extension the rapture. Because in uh, Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter two verse one he says concerning our uh, the uh, parousia. And the, the gathering of, of the elect or the gathering, of course, he's referring back to his previous epistle concerning the rapture. And all, all pre tribulationists agree that when Paul says concerning our being gathered together, they, they believe that's referring to the rapture. Well, then Paul then is intending to discuss what events are related to uh, in relation to the rapture here. And he's, and then immediately afterwards, he says two events have to happen before. That is, before the day of the Lord. And again, by extension, the rapture, because Paul situates the rapture occurring on the same day that the day of the Lord's wrath begins. So if you have something that's going to happen before the day of the Lord, or before the day of the Lord's wrath, then by extension, it has to happen before the rapture. And th- These two events that Paul says is, there's going to be this apostasy and the the, man, the revelation of the man of lawlessness, a.k.a. the Antichrist, and they mm-hmm. have to happen before. There's a, there's a very important uh, adverb there, uh, is uh, protos, uh, and, and it means first. It has to happen before. These two events have to happen before the day of the Lord. And that's problematic for pre-tribulations because they have traditionally— Located the Antichrist, the revelation of the Antichrist, and this apostasy occurring during the day of the Lord's wrath. But this term here, and there's uh, the film, the documentary actually shows there's uh, uh, two other parallel grammatical uh, situations in in the New Testament that explicitly indicate that, that yes, it, these events have to happen before. Uh, and so... Pre-tribulationists, this is really interesting. Uh, something new. Again, they're 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 having to respond to pre-wrath theology, and they're actually they're actually changing the fundamental structures of traditional pre-tribulationism to try to respond to pre-wrath. And the way they've done it with this problem is they have created this gap theory, and that they'll try to. Say well, the, the rapture, you know, when the rapture occurs, there's this gap of time that will happen before, before the the day of the Lord's wrath. Like some will say days or weeks, months, even some pretrib teachers will say years, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's it's really a a strained. Response. It's a, uh, in, in fact, if I could say it's almost a desperate response to try to defend their pre-tribulationism because Jesus and Paul are very, ex- very explicit that the, the rapture and the, uh, and the day of the Lord's wrath, the beginning of the day of the Lord's wrath will occur back to back on the same day. So the, uh, the, the, the day of the Lord's wrath is not going to, it's not just one single day, but it, it begins the day that the rapture occurs. So that's, that's a, uh, the epitome of this, the second Thessalonians problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the next one is the revelation problem.
2: Yeah. The revelation problem uh, in traditional pre-trib eschatology, they will say that the, the, the seven seals are expressions of God's wrath. They are, they will occur during the day of the Lord's wrath. And so, but this is a this is a problem because we know in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says that believers are exempted, they're promised uh deliverance be, uh be, uh from the day of the Lord's wrath. They mm-hmm. will not be here for the day of the Lord's wrath. And all pre-tribulationists would agree with that, but then what do you do with the fifth seal? In Revelation six, the fifth seal explicitly states that the uh, that the uh, the martyrs uh, that there's martyrs that these martyrs were killed during this time. Well, God must be contradic- contradicting himself in the in the pretrib schema if. You have martyrs dying during the day of the Lord's wrath. They claim that the, the, the fifth seal is God's wrath. But yet Paul says that no, no believers are, uh, or all believers are exempted from the day of the Lord's wrath. So you have a contradiction here. So what do they, what do, they, what do, they do with the fifth seal? Uh, well, they, some of them just ignore this problem. Others will say, well, you know, they're quote unquote, tribulation saints are not part of the church. Uh, well, I get, that's, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just a desperate, uh, you know, attempt to try to get around the plain meaning of Scripture. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, too, about the fifth seal is kind of a double-barrel uh, shotgun because in the same text, it actually says the martyrs are crying out, God, God, when, you know, when are you going to avenge our blood? When are you going to, you know, pour out your wrath? And the response, the divine response is, it's not, well, wait, you have it mistaken. This is God's wrath. This is. This has <laughs> been going on, you know, uh, since the first seal. No, the divine response is wait a little bit, wait a little bit longer. Uh, and um, and then, you know, God will, uh, your, your, your blood will be avenged. Your uh, God will be vindicated. And in essence, they're saying God, the fifth seal is saying that God's wrath has not occurred. Um, and. And what's interesting is that the When you look at the next event, so you have seven seals, they're on a scroll, the first one is broken, the second one is broken, the third is broken, the fourth is broken, and the fifth is broken, and the sixth seal is broken. You have the celestial disturbance event, uh, which, by the way, lines up perfectly, parallels perfectly with the sixth seal, the celestial disturbance event in Matthew 24. Mm -hmm. And in Luke 21, because in Luke 21 it says, when you see this event talking to believers, uh, lift up your heads and know that you stand up, lift up your heads, you know that, that your redemption draws nigh. Uh, and so it's it's very consistent. God's wrath has not occurred at that point. It's the impending, it's, announce, it's announcing the impending wrath of God. And then uh, just before the, the scroll is open with the seventh seal, you have two groups of people being delivered. Uh, so the, uh, the seventh seal it's, it's broken, the scroll the scroll is, you know, opened, and you have the trumpet judgments of God, the bowl judgments of God. And so, yeah, that's that's going to be a, this is a major problem for pre-tribulationists because, well, this is what I like to say. I like to say that the fifth seal promises God's wrath. The sixth seal portends God's wrath. And chapter seven shows a protection from God's impending wrath and the seventh seal pronounces God's wrath there's a beautiful progression there mm-hmm. that's progressing toward the actual expression of God's wrath in the seventh seal where it started back in the fifth seal it was a promise of God's wrath so this is this is very problematic you cannot have the The seals being god 's wrath, except of course the seventh seal that opens up the scroll itself so the 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 nature of these seals is progressive this is not god 's wrath uh this is actually it 's really revealing the depravity of man mm-hmm.
0: uh, expressed in in these seals well said, so then the next one is one that um it, that I had an article on, and it's a it's a really big one within the circles that I see, that are uh, pre-trib. You know, this this one seems to be the biggest thing that keeps people pre-trib, and that's the imminence problem.
2: So the imminence problem is actually uh, it, it's kind of linked to the first problem, the precursor problem, because imminency mm-hmm. defined by pre-tribulationists, not my definition, but this is uh, uh, by uh, practically all pre-tribulationists, they will say that eminence is, that it it means that you there are no prophesied events that must occur before the rapture.
0: Well, more and specifically, so, they say the rapture could happen at any moment. Before correct. you and I finish recording, let alone I get this thing edited and posted, the rapture could happen.
2: Correct. Uh, and there's two, really, two, it's a two-fold problem there because, number one, is it goes back to the uh, the, the the previous problems and uh, the precursor problem, the olive discourse problem, and the Second Thessalonians problem. That there's certain events that have to happen uh, before the day of the Lord, and again, by extension, they have to happen before the rapture. Uh, and and the other. Problem with the imminence ish- issue is that there's a lot of a lot of pre-tribulations, They throw out these proof texts, and when you look at these proof texts, so-called proof texts that purport to teach an imminent or an any moment rapture, um, you know it, uh, they end up not uh, refuting uh, a pre wrath view or or, or or actually defending uh, uh, imminence because, at essence they are all about being watchful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they will make the leap of saying, well, if, if scripture says be watchful for the Lord's coming, therefore it must mean imminence. Um, and the, the film does a great job in pointing out the logical absurdity of that. There's a lot of things that we, you know, look forward to. I mean, Two people who are engaged, they can look forward. They can be watchful and eager for their wedding day, but that doesn't mean it's imminent. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, you know, one example. Uh, but the terms, the Greek terms, uh, there's no Greek terms that actually mean imminent. You can have terms that mean near. Something can be near and be watchful. Uh, and, but again, th- these are, that doesn't mean that there's no prophesied events that have to happen before something that is near. Uh, or to be watchful.
0: hmm The same time problem? Where that's number six out of the
2: seven? Yeah, the uh, same uh time problem or um the what can be called the Church in Israel problem. Uh-huh. And this is this idea of in traditional uh most traditional pre tribulationists are traditional dispensationalists. So they believe that the um that is the traditional dispensationalists. They believe that the that God doesn't work with Israel and the church at the same time. If you have God working with Israel during the church age, that's they would say that's confusing God's programs. Mm-hmm. And but there's a there's uh, there's quite a few problems with that. Uh, there's there's prophecies in the Old Testament, for example, in Joel two, uh, prophesying about the uh You know the outpouring of the spirit and the uh you know in those last days, and when we see that fulfilled in acts two with the at pentecost well pentecost was that 's the beginning of the church age, so you actually have a prophecy uh in the old testament there 's a number of prophecies that will prophesy of a, a certain fulfillment concerning Israel during the church age uh and, and that is one of them, because uh, when you look at the prophecy in Acts 2, the Pentecost prophecy, you, it's it's clearly uh, a, a fulfillment of the Joel prophecy, except I, I would see it as kind of bookends. You know, the, uh, sure. the outpouring of the Spirit is the, the, uh, one of the bookends of beginning the Church Age, and I would argue that the, the other bookend is the celestial disturbances that will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple, uh, and, and, and the, uh, destruction of Jerusalem. And we know that that happened in, uh, his prophecy of judgment upon Israel happened in 80, 70. And in 80, 70 was during the church age. Uh, so, the, and the, and again, there's other prophecies. You have Ezekiel's dry bone prophecies. Uh, I believe that occurred in 1948 in it's continuing to be fulfilled. Uh, there's a prophecy that Paul says that God is making Israel jealous by the Gentiles. So you, the, the, oh, these prophecies are, uh, they're outlined in the, in the documentary, but uh, those are just a few that show you the problem that, that pre tribulationists have because uh, you, you have old Testament prophecies given to Israel Right, given to Israel, and they're fulfilled in a church context. Uh, the church doesn't fulfill it. I mean, the church is not Israel. The Israel is not the church, but it's during the church age. Uh, God is working with Israel and the church. He, he's He's worked with them in the past. He's worked with them right now at this very moment, and he's going to work with them both at the same time uh, during the, the so-called tribulation period.
0: Mm-hmm. The last one is the early church problem, and I had to squint on that. I couldn't read my own handwriting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the early church problem is you have these writers in the early church who they they didn't know anything about pre-tribulationism. There's nothing in in their writings that would indicate a pre-tribulational rapture. In fact, uh, and, and we walk through some of these early church fathers in the film. Uh, but every single early church father, at least up to about eighty, three hundred, or two fifty, every single one of them who actually talked about or wrote on the relationship between the Antichrist and the uh, and the and the Great Tribulation, or the Antichrist and the Church, every single early church father believed that the Church would face the Antichrist. Uh, In fact, I have in my appendix in my book, Antichrist before the day of the Lord, there's a, I I show all the writings uh, up to 250 AD showing the explicit statements that the early church fathers uh, believed that the church would face the Antichrist. So that's, that's, that's a problem for pre-tribulations. That's that's
0: pretty notable. I mean, even, even within uh, Paul's day, people, people thought that. For instance, Nero was the Antichrist. So people were expecting to see the Antichrist. They specifically thought with the persecution under Nero, they that a lot of people suspected, is he the Antichrist?
2: Right, right. And, you know, it's interesting that Calvin, John Calvin, if you fast forward, you know, almost uh, 1,400 years or 1,500 years, John Calvin has a statement Concerning that Jesus can come at any moment. And pre tribulationists, they try to latch on to that and go, whoa, look at, look at, there there's you go, a imminent the pre- thing. Yeah, yeah, there's a pre trib, there's an imminent statement before 1830, before John Darby. <laughs> but what they don't tell you is that actually. John, uh, John Calvin, though, believed that the church would face the antichrist. He didn't believe in, a, but he, he didn't believe in a literal antichrist. You know, he he thought that he was actually living during the time of the antichrist. Uh, realized, of course, in the in the pulp or the, the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So, uh, John Calvin believed. Yeah, he he believed that. Christ could return at any moment, but that's only because he thought he was actually living during the time of the Antichrist. And that's exactly what pre-wrath teaches, except for we believe that, you know, that wasn't actually fulfilled back then during John Calvin's time. But we believe that in the future, the Antichrist, uh, that the Great Tribulation, this is not God's wrath, but rather the Antichrist or the Great Tribulation is this is uh, Antichrist's persecution against God. God's people against uh, a faithful remnant, against Israel, against the church. And we don't know the day of the hour, but those days of great tribulation, Jesus says, is going to be cut short. And it's going to be cut short with the rapture, resurrection. And then on that same day, God will pour out his wrath upon the wicked.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So with all of the, the seven points kind of briefly described, um, that's the first half of our show. It looks like we got maybe 20 to 20, 30 minutes left to might be able to keep going. I'd like to get in a little more depth and just kind of, you know, not on everyone, but for sure, because we don't have time for that. But um, just get into a few different things and just discuss. I I got a couple notes already. Uh, The first thing before we go back to those seven, there was uh, one of my articles that I did six years ago. Um, you, the, the film kind of gets into it a little bit. It's not one of the seven points, but you, you do kind of get into it in the beginning because you're, you're setting the stage and showing the differences between the different pre millennial views, you know, what, cause you've got pre-trib, you've got mid-trib, post-trib pre-wrath. So you go through those and variations even within those. And, um, what I was getting at is, um, what I call the equivocation problem, and the equiv- equivocation problem is, you know, and I'll link to it my article about it. But it gets into this um, this big thing within pre-tribulationalism where they equivocate uh, the seventieth week of Daniel, the tribulation, and the day of the Lord. They say all those terms are synonymous. They equivocate them all. Do you have any comments on on that sure. particularly?
2: Sure. Sure. Um, well. Joe 2.31 actually contradicts that notion. Um, let, me, let me just turn there real quick here. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me get here. The, and I know in my
0: own discussions, that's, that keeps coming up. The two big things I run into are imminence and this equivocation.
2: Right. So what's interesting, they, I, I don't like the term the tribulation period uh, because it's loaded language. Uh, so, tribulation, yeah. right? I mean, there's in Greek. There's a lot of terms for to, to refer to tribulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one of the most common ones, and usually it's found in certain eschatological passages, is phlepsis or phlepsis, if you use a coiny pronunciation. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's a term. I mean, Paul even used it to refer to uh, uh, you know God's uh, uh, wrath against uh, the wicked. But he could also use the term to refer to persecution. It just depends on what context is on sure. uh, or, or, or in. And it's not a technical term. I mean, again, it's the scope of the context. Uh, well, I
0: think that's partly why it's equivocated, though, is because they'll recognize kind of the problems with calling this period the tribulation. And so then they'll fall back and say, well, to be more precise, we're going to call it the 70th week of Daniel. Okay?
2: Yeah, it, I mean, that's a more neutral term to call it a, a seven-year period or 70th week of Daniel.
0: Right, but even the tribul- the, the pre-tributors, I mean, when they when they realize that they're on one really generic term and they want to get more specific, then they'll fall back and they'll use this equivocation that oh, I'm right, talking about right. as their way of saying, okay, well, just to be clear here, we're talking right. about Daniel's 70th week. Right. Right. But but then they'll also throw in that well this all has to be the day of the Lord and and you sure. kind of touched on that especially in your revelation problem that that they're saying you know that that the seven seals have to be part of God's wrath and whatnot and and right and,
2: well the the uh, you know when someone says that uh, mentioned the tribulation period I you know it, it begs the question mm-hmm. well. Yeah, pre-rap believes the whole 70, 70th week of Daniel is, uh, you know, it's 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 this tribulation from day one to you know, uh, but but the
0: question is tribulation for who?
2: Yeah, for who exactly? Uh, and and here's here's a very simple way that we know that the day of the Lord's wrath cannot begin before the midpoint. Uh, and okay, so we know that. So Jesus um in Matthew 24:15 he says you know he refers to the abomination desolation he says the great tribulation begins at the abomination desolation and no one disagrees at least even pre tribs vast majority of pre-tribs would agree that abomination desolation occurs at the midpoint we know that from Dan mm-hmm. Daniel 7 or uh, well, Daniel chapter 9 that. Yeah Daniel he yeah, gives at you the, the midpoint
0: day, the very day when it's going to happen
2: Yeah right at the midpoint and then and then and then you connect that to Matthew 24. Jesus says the Great Tribulation occurs right at the midpoint. And then he says that the Great Tribulation is going to be cut short with the celestial disturbances. Of course, the celestial disturbances and the return, the, the celestial disturbances will occur. You know, that the, the, the luminaries will go dark. And then you have the the shining uh, glory of Christ's return that will, will uh Mm-hmm. That will occur. Uh, but the, the celestial disturbances, it cuts short uh, because this is immediately after those days, right? Uh, in, in I believe it's verse 29. It's going to cut short with the celestial disturbances. And Jesus is drawing from Joe 2.30, uh, Joe t- uh, 2.20, uh, 29, uh, 30, and 31. And this is what it says. It says, I will... Uh, beginning of verse 30, I will produce portents both in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun, the sunlight will be turned to darkness and the moon to the color, color of blood before this is key, not during, but before the day of the Lord comes that great and terrible day. And so the day of the Lord cannot begin until these celestial disturbances occur. And we know it's a it's an airtight argument. the the mm-hmm. uh, the celestial disturbances happens. Jesus locates them explicitly at some time after the midpoint when the great tribulation is cut short. The celestial disturbances are going to occur, and then then you have the day of the Lord's wrath occurs uh, at that time, uh, uh, you know, just after the rapture. And again, Luke twenty one is is very explicit too. It says for believers. Believers are going to be there, and they're, when they see these those celestial disturbances, they're told to, you know, to stand up and um, and and lift up your heads, and and re- your your uh, redemption draws nigh. And and just one other parallel in Revelation six, you have the celestial disturbances. The sixth seal is the celestial disturbances, and immediately after that, you have this great multitude who. This great multitude from every tongue, nation, tribe, they appear in heaven. And it actually says this. It says they came out of the great tribulation. I'm sorry, but that is the rapture of the church. You know, so many people are like, well, you know, when when does the rapture occur in the book of Revelation? It's right there. It's in (laughs) front of your nose. You don't have to find some cryptic verse in the book of Revelation. It's right there. Unless, of course, your presuppositions prevent you from from seeing that beautiful scene of of all you know all of God's people being delivered. They have resurrected bodies in this mm-hmm. scene. Revelation seven. Then the other group of people, one hundred forty four thousand Israelites, are sealed. They're on Earth. Why are they sealed? They're protected, physically protected, because of God's wrath is about to happen when the seventh seal is opened up.
0: Right on. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just writing a couple of notes here. And so you caught me off guard. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to skip over the pre- precursor problem and circle back to the all of it discord, pro- course problem. And, and again, that's what, something that I've written on. So, um, and I'm kind of doing this strategically because then I can add my own stuff to this, to the additional resources links, but um, all of it discourse. And this was really what brought me over to pre wrath was years and years ago. It was like episode three, I think three or four where Ryan sat me down and he actually challenged me, you know, it was before that he'd gone off and started his church. He, he did his church plant. He was, he was still associate pastor where I was attending church and, and he knew I started this podcast and he says, Hey, I'll do an episode with you. Um, How about I uh, convince you that pre-tribulationalism is wrong and, and uh, share with you this other view. And, uh, and I always like to point back to that. I I can't remember if it's three or four. I think I, 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 I'm thinking it may be four, Episode four, but it was a long one. I actually had to break it into a couple parts because uh, it was so long, but you can actually hear me get converted from pre trib to pre wrath. <laughs> I, uh, I have to, but it's so powerful. It. <laughs> it's not only was all of the discourse um, really powerful in winning me over, but of course, my wife was pre trib as well. And um, she, she took a little bit longer to come over and really what brought her over was that uh, it was before we had kids. So it had to be back in 2000. Oh, maybe no, I couldn't, that couldn't be possible. Sorry. I was just because uh, my, my youngest, my oldest was uh, about a year old when I started the podcast. So that's not the case, but uh, very young kids. Anyway, um, I, I remember specifically sitting her down on the couch in the basement and just walking through Matthew 24 and just like, let's just do a plain reading of this. Okay, just forget everything, you know, let's just read this together. And by the time we got to the end of Matthew 24, she's like, yeah, pre pre truth can't possibly be true.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just work right. Read through it. Exactly.
0: And you um, don't have to be a scholar. You just got to sit down and read it like it says and and don't break it up. Don't, don't, don't just take three or four verses at a time. Like just read the chapter.
2: Right. And we show, by the way, in the documentary, how, how, um, Pre-tribs are responding to pre wrath by chopping up Matthew twenty-four. It's amazing; they they really chop it up. Well, it's yeah, not, a why co- it's say, not a coherent discourse.
0: Right. That's why I say don't do that. Don't 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 read it a few verses at a time. And I think that it's so often it, it, problems people have with scripture can be laid right exactly there, where mm-hmm. where they people misunderstand scripture because somebody explains a verse to them without explaining the entire context of the verse. You know, and, and the cults do it all the time, too. You know, they'll want to share a verse with you. The Jehovah's Witnesses are notorious. They'll sit down with you and they'll they'll show you a verse that proves that Jesus can't be God, you know, that, right. that disproves the Trinity. Well, they'll they'll read you that verse and then they'll quickly jump out and get, get out of there because the next verse proves them wrong, you know. Right. And, and so often, uh, if, if there's any question on Scripture, I mean, it's like amazing how often, if you've got any question about Scripture, if something that's controversial— just sit on and read the context, read the whole chapter, maybe read the, the previous half chapter and the next half chapter, and then the whole chapter in between. And, and it becomes clearer more times than you'd be. Ever, you'd be surprised how often it comes clear. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I really appreciated the Olivet Discourse because, uh, because it really does, uh, clarify a lot when you get rid of your presuppositions.
2: Um, I can mention something in the film, yeah. Uh, well, concerning this, um, so the film really exposes this is part of the all of a discourse problem, and it, it exposes a, uh, a a really a fatal flaw in the in the interpretation that some pretribs, not all pretribs, do this. And they, what they do is they they'll say <clears throat> they'll look at verse thirty, twenty nine and thirty. You know then. Uh, then the sign Matthew, of the Son 24, of Man, of uh, Matthew twenty four. Yeah, Matthew twenty four, verse thirty. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. You know, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Uh, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and the power and great glory. And then you have the the the, the angels, the loud uh, trumpet blast, the gathering of the elect from the four winds. Right? They'll say, No, no, that 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 can't be. That's not the rapture. Uh, you know, that that's Armageddon. Um, and
0: tribulation saints.
2: Yeah, those are, yeah, right. Or the, what, a lot of pre-tribulations would say that's the gathering of Israel. That's on a, you know,
0: physical Israel.
2: And again, you know, uh, pre-wrath believes from that—
0: From the four—Israel, of course, from the four corners of the earth, right?
2: Right, correct. <laughs> um, but again, if you compare this this passage with Paul's teaching, it's, it's explicitly—the it, parallels are so uh, consistent. And not just the parallels, but the sequences as well—, as well. But they'll say that this is not the rapture. And then only a couple of verses later in verse 36, they'll say, when it says, but as for that day and hour, no one knows it, not even the angels of heaven except the father alone. They'll say, Oh, but that's the rapture. <laughs> well, they can't, you, these are, it's talking about the same event. Uh, we know that because, uh, the, w- when Jesus just finished ex- describing the, the gathering of the elect, he says, don't, don't be, don't, uh, he says um, uh, that this will happen, uh, that you'll know the season when this happens, that's what he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he uses the, uh, the metaphor of, of the fig tree, right? When uh, the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near, right? He's, this, the summer there, of course, is referring to uh, Jesus' uh, return. And then he says, he says, but don't get me wrong. You know, basically Jesus says, "Okay, you're not you're going to know the season, but don't don't get me wrong, you're not going to know the exact day." But what pre-tribulations do? They disconnect. They drive. They they build a brick wall between verse uh, thirty six and what comes before it. Mm-hmm. And what they do is say, "Oh, that's that's you know, this is the rapture for uh, for a few um, uh, verses." Uh, after verse 36 they they say some of these metaphors are for the uh for the uh a pre-trib rapture and so what they basically do is they they basically they skip all of this, this all of these events you know Jesus is warning you know that, that the elected they're going to face the antichrist the, the great tribulation the abomination desolation they skip all that and then in verse 36 oh now we have a pretrib rapture that's retrojected right they take verse 36 and they retroject it all the way back before verse 4 that is that really defines playing games with God's word. Uh, mm-hmm. That is, that is, you know, people talk about scripture twisting. This is first rank scripture twisting. And, you know, I know it's, I might sound harsh, but I'm I'm sorry, but this this is not how Jesus intended for his discourse to be taken.
0: Well, and that's also why, um, you know, like I can't help but go back to what I said at the very beginning about how. Um, I hope not to alienate some of my non-premillennial listeners and friends. and um, But I, I'm sure there are people who uh, are listening or maybe just skipped over this episode and didn't listen at all because they think eschatology is just so hard to understand. It's, it's just so scattered. They don't know how to make sense of it. And that would be a good example of why they've got people. They can kind of see that this is happening. They see people teach this and they can understand. They're not dumb that, wait, you said this here and that there. And like, how do you make sense of that? And, you know, you sit down, they sit down and they read Matthew 24 by themselves through and putting together all the things these pre-tribbers are teaching them. And it just doesn't make sense to them. Like, how could this be the rapture and that's not rapture. And then this is over here is the rapture. And like, why are we bouncing back and forth between rapture and not rapture church and not church. And you know, people see through it.
2: Yeah. They're, uh, they're defending a, a tradition. The tradition mm-hmm. is eminence. Uh, and the early, the, 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 new Testament writers didn't know anything about eminence. Uh, mm-hmm. The early church fathers did not teach eminence. This is something that was created uh, many, not just years, but centuries later, in in the 19th century, it's actually a relatively it, it, it's it's a, it's a new doctrine, really, uh, beginning in mm-hmm. the 19th century, and it's and it's really actually it's more of an American and British doctrine, and if it's if, if it is found in other parts of the world, it's uh, you can always trace it back to it's been imported, it's been it's been exported, uh, yeah, from export, us. or exported from. Uh, Uh, British and American uh, pre-tribulational missionaries.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I'm trying to be really careful about what I bring up next because we're, we're pushing up against the clock, but um, I want to circle back to a comment you made when we were talking about the same time problem. And, and that was um, you brought up the, the root of that same time problem being traditional dispensationalism. And once again, I want to bring up that, you know, I, I have listeners that are all millennial and um, uh, subscribe to other views and whatnot. And I think that what you said there, that's why I wrote it down, make a note, I want to circle back. That is a problem that they see correctly. They see this, you know, some of the problems with dispensationalism. And so they write off the whole eschatological, premillennial view altogether just because, oh, that's a dispensational problem and stuff. And I'm wondering if uh, you could kind of address some of that.
2: Yeah, that's actually a good question. Uh, I've I've had interactions with, for example, Gary Demar. Uh, Gary Demar, he's mm-hmm. not all millennial; he's he's post mill. But uh, but I have had interactions with other millennial theologians, and and the sense I get is uh, that when they critique when they critique, for example, premillennialism, what they're critiquing is really an outdated form of. Of traditional or classical dispensationalism, and they'll maybe cite some of the extremism or sensationalism of pre-tribulationism, and as if that kind of you know justifies their view. And I think that's throwing out the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're you know progressive dispensations. I I would consider myself roughly. Uh, Progressive dispensational. This is the view that too, yeah. that you know there aren't two peoples of God. Uh, I believe there's one people of God, um, but within that one people of God, you have com- you have uh, complexity within unity. You have the na- you have mm-hmm. nations, the nation you have the Gentile nations, and you have the nation of Israel. Uh, but they're subsumed under the larger people of God. Uh, I believe that uh, the kingdom you know, the The kingdom wasn't postponed in the sense of, um, now there's a future aspect, a future physical aspect of the kingdom. Uh, but God, in there's certain aspects of the kingdom that is being worked out right now. Uh, God is saving Gentiles, uh, within this, and of course, a remnant of Israel. Uh, but there's uh, traditional criticisms of all millennial, uh, all millennialists. Toward premillennialism or toward dispensationalism uh, is, you know, I I listen to them. I'm like, well, that's not what I believe. You know, it's uh, for example, you know, traditional dispensationalists would say that the uh, the new covenant is is not for the church, (laughs) right? Mm A lot of them would say that, or they have two covenants, right? Two new covenants. And so uh, what I would, what I would encourage basically uh, maybe some of your all millennial listeners is, is just maybe read more of the contemporary uh, writings of dispensationalists, like of, of Craig Blazing and uh, Robert Saucy and Daryl Bach and, and others. Uh, and, and, and r- rather than maybe, you know, uh, left behind, uh, responding mm-hmm. to the left behind stuff because I've, I've i've critiqued gary demar often i've said i think he's stuck in 1972 <laughs> you know uh critiquing uh, uh you know uh i've like taken um, hal lindsey and made yeah, a straw hal man Inzy. of
0: everybody because of who oh, hal I, I, it's is.
2: funny i have this I, I do this every time whenever i see an article critiquing dispensationalism or pre-tribulationism by omelette po- i won't even read the article uh at first what i do is i'll actually do a search control for, f Hal yeah, lindsey right yeah, I do Hal Lindsay, sure enough his name shows up three times I'm like they can't get out <laughs> in 1972 this is that's that's like i'll be 50 years old in november i'm like that's that's almost 50 years old the kind of stuff you know <laughs> yeah. uh, i mean yeah you still have a little bit of that in certain corners of of uh evangelicalism but by and far i mean you know contemporary dispensationalism is very different from the classical and Charles Ryrie and Schofield type of dispensationalism of today.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, you were talking, I was, what, what popped on my head is like, if, if it, it's like, if we were to sit down right now and critique um, covenant theologians, which, as progressive dispensationalists, you and I have more in common with them than we do with the traditional dispensationalists. But if we were to cont- critique a, a full on covenant theologian, one of the things they hear all the time and it drives them nuts is that they get accused of being um, replacement theologians. No, 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 we're not replacement theologians. We're not replacement theologians. Well, I just want to point out that, you know, that I understand that bothers you, but. We're 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 bothered for the same reasons on the other side. When you point at Hal Lindsey and you say, "Well, you use dispensation as the word dispensation within how you describe your own view," therefore you must be like Hal Lindsey, or you must be like um uh, what's his name, uh, Hagee, John Hagee. You know, oh yeah, John, John Hagee. Hage. Yeah. You must be like 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 these guys. You know the wackadoodles. You know, mm-hmm. right? Like, no, <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. No. Uh- yeah, I mean, some you know, there, there are some, uh, you know, super supersessionists, aka mm-hmm. I guess replacement theology the, theologians. Uh, some actually embrace the idea that they they believe that they are replacing it. Some some don't like the term. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like just to cut, kind of more cut to the chase and just ask, well, do you, do you believe that God has a future program for national ethnic Israel when Jesus returns and Virtually all of them would say, no, they don't, you know, but Mm -hmm. of course that's another topic for, well, sometimes I'd love to
0: sit down with you, maybe when you move a little bit closer to where I am and, and you can come in a little more often, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about some of the, the broader differences and, and maybe we can interact with amillennialism. Um, and I think, um, my amillennial friends and listeners might appreciate that discussion more than a, a typical discussion because, one thing you're very good at you're very strong with is 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 properly representing other points of view that you don't agree with you know you're, you're kind of like a James White where first we're gonna lay out honestly what the other view is we're not gonna straw man them. we're not gonna misrepresent them okay and then once we're there then we'll um, sure we'll interact with it so that would be a sure. great future episode and I, I'm if very familiar
2: have, with all literature in fact my my dissertation, my PhD uh, dissertation, was on Revelation 19 verses 11 through chapter 20 verse 6. Uh, so, you know, the last uh, seven years, I've been immersed with with all <laughs> sorts of literature on on that text, uh, and I'm, I'm looking to get it published uh, by next year. Cool. Uh, so, uh, we could we could do a whole program on that. I'm happy to. Yeah, see well, that. It'll there's be nice a great text you're... to walk through. You know, we talk about pre-tribs. They can't walk through Matthew 24, and I would argue that that uh, all millennialists are not able to walk through the millennial text. They have to begin the text at Revelation 20, verse 1. They, that's not mm-hmm. where the context begins. The chapter breaks are misleading. The context mm-hmm. actually for the binding, the occasion of of Satan's binding, occurs when Jesus returns on a white horse in Revelation 19, they have you have to back up to verse uh, chapter 19. But mm-hmm. all millennialists, and this is how, what I argued in my my dissertation, a ninety thousand word dissertation, <laughs> wow. is and it was a linguistic uh, analysis. So I, I, mm-hmm. my methodology was a, a Greek linguistic methodology, which actually is is the very first uh, very first dissertation ever uh, to analyze the millennial text. Uh, from a robust linguistic uh, methodology. So, cool. uh, but yeah, I, I show that there are many what's called cohesive ties, linguistic ties between uh, Revelation 19 and and 20 that connect uh, the that link uh, the binding of Satan to the uh, the victory of Jesus in Revelation 19. In other words, there's a cause and effect. Uh, There's a cause and effect action there is when Jesus returns in the future, uh, portrayed in Revelation 19, one of the consequences will be the binding of Satan. Uh, So that's um, uh, anyway, that's that's what my uh, my dissertation focused on.
0: Cool well i wanna really especially because it's free and it's available online i want to really really encourage people to check out the film uh seven pre tribulational problems and then um the one i I did have a comment I wasn't able to fit in anywhere else, and that was your co producer chris white um I don't know Chris very well I did interview him in a few, several years back and stuff so I've had a little interaction with chris but um what One thing I love about Chris and you see it come through really, really strongly in the film is he's got an amazing ability to take things that that are that seem complicated, that seem to be riddled with controversy and just simplify them to the point where you're like, you know, well, yeah, it's obvious. This is what the answer is, you know, and and you're when Chris is done with you through any of his videos, not just, you know, he's. uh, it's not just through this one, but when he's done with you, you stop and wonder, well, why would I ever have believed any differently? Yeah. This? He's yeah, he has a good, a uh,
2: uh, skill for uh, taking complex issues and, and simplifying it, not making it superficial, but simplifying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. And I, I think that's a, the huge uh, plus of the documentary. And when you think, when you, what we wanted to do with the documentary was uh we didn't want it to be some superficial kind of gen- general speculative or you know you know we it was a we wanted to be uh high highly professional and very substantive mm-hmm. and that's actually the the feedback the consistent feedback we're getting right now is that they're like whoa, this is this is not just substantive but it's very professional and that's exactly what our goal mm-hmm. was and I, I, I think we yeah. a- accomplished that
0: yeah I think so too and you don't actually see Chris in the film he he doesn't appear he doesn't he doesn't narrate I mean he's right uh, his name shows up in the credits but you can see like his fingerprints all over it right yes yeah. He did Definitely. a fabulous job
2: putting all this together. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. So, well, um, I think we're up against the clock, so I would we'll go ahead and wrap it up, but I'm, I'm thankful that you took the time to come on with me and, and I'm looking forward. We keep talking about when you're going to be in studio. And so hopefully hoping that day comes sooner than rather than later. And, um, yeah, we talked about even maybe just recording something and throwing it on the shelf for later, but, uh, hopefully we can get that done soon. Yes. Lord willing. So, You're uh, East Coast, but moving closer to to home. You won't be that far from me when you're you're done moving.
2: Yes, Lord willing. Uh, uh, There's a lot of uh, moving parts right now. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks so much, Alan. All right. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. Um,
1: Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support.
0: That wraps up Episode 149. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 149. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect with Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Parlor and YouTube and love to connect with you. So follow, like and subscribe to Echo Zoe Ministries. Help us also get out the word by retweeting, echoing, sharing, bouncing, emailing or whatever you got. The announcements that uh, we put out for your favorite episode, because that not only helps introduce new people to the show, it gives me an indication which episodes people really are enjoying the most. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the October episode of Echo Zoya Radio.